0: Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanised Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi,
1: I'm Craig Safin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to.
0: Welcome to the Humanised Workforce Future U podcast. I'm Steve Barlow. As always, I'm joined by Craig Saffin. So welcome, Craig. Hi, Steve. Lovely to see you. I'm uh, interested to talk to Rocky today. Uh, he is a, he's a futurist and uh, it'll be interesting to see what perspectives he can bring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to welcome our guest, we've got uh, Professor Rocky Scopoletti. So, welcome, Rocky. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure.
2: Thanks, Stephen and Cragan. Great to be part of today's program. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I've essentially been researching and reporting on a question uh, that is um, has been really the cornerstone of uh, all of my energy, which is how do we increase our capacity to adapt? to a world and accelerated change. And so so my life has many parts to it. Uh, I'm an independent futurologist, uh, author, uh, and I've published over 17 publications over that 20 year period. And uh, my latest two books, the first being Youthquake 4.0, which is a world first book looking at the uh, interplay between demographic change and the fourth industrial revolution. And then my second book uh, published uh, just recently is called Australia 2030, Where the Bloody Hell Are We? And it's a uh, based on a major study looking at the attitudes of Australian professionals over the coming decade across a whole range of areas, including uh, the future of work, uh, how they see their development, uh, their career aspirations, and the like. I'm also a professor at uh, uh, the University of Technology here in Sydney, and I've been doing quite a lot of work there in their Futures Academy, which is looking at how to help organizations uh, reskill their workforces. Uh, for all of the new and emerging um, new roles, I guess, that are, that are now coming at us much faster than our capacity to supply. Uh, I'm also the Chief Scientist uh, for Optus Communications in federal government, um, and I sit on a range of other boards. So, uh, so uh, there's a, a diverse range of things that I, that, that I do, I guess, Stephen and Craig, and um, but they're all really centred on uh, research, thought leadership, uh, insights, and the like. Okay, thanks.
1: That's uh, that's quite a daunting uh, <laughs> gra- ground setting there, uh, Rocky. So, uh, but anyhow, let's uh, let's try and break it down a little bit, and um, and try so that we can uh, make it uh, r- relate to the humanised workforce in the future. You. So, one of the things you said early on is that um, you've been uh, looking at how People need to adapt to accelerated change. Uh, can yeah. you can you um, uh, yeah, talk a little that. Bit about that for a minute?
2: Ken? Yeah. So um, so what's fascinating about that question is that unlike a puzzle, perhaps where you know before we begin playing the puzzle or doing the puzzle, or before we start playing a game, we know that there's going to be a an answer, right? We can see the picture on the puzzle, we know that there's an outcome, and, uh, or if we're playing a game, we know that there's gonna be a winner. Now, uh, what's fascinating about that question, how do we increase our capacity to adapt to a world and accelerate a change, is that it behaves very differently. It behaves more like a mystery just when we think we know that there is an answer, there's a twist and there's a turn. And so the environment that we are now living in is characterized by exponential change. And so this question really is the interplay between our capacity to adapt uh, ourselves, our professions, our lives, the way we live, work and play, to a world uh, that is in accelerated change and development, um, and so um, and so, I've looked at a whole range of you know different areas technologically, and you know we we we're now moving into an era where technology is coming at us much much faster, you know than ever before. Um and so we've got to really stare into um you know how we start thinking about reskilling uh you know workforces and people away from roles and positions and the, and in fact the structure of work itself, um away from sunsetting roles and not onto sun rising roles. And that's the disequilibrium, let's just say, that we currently have. We've got this discord. Uh, which is creating what I refer to as an ingenuity gap. Uh, and that is that our capacity to reskill people uh, at scale, volume, efficiency, productivity, and the like um, just, uh, you know, has created this sort of gap. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a great example here Access Economics just recently uh, did a major study looking at, you know, the skills gap. And, you know, their research indicated that uh, just in one uh, job category alone in terms of technology workers, there's a shortfall in the coming two years in the order of 156,000. And that's putting approximately $10 billion of economic growth at risk. Um, And so we've really got to kind of, uh, you know, Th- rethink uh, the way with which we we are addressing this sort of skills shortfall and that's where the you know my work with UTS really comes into play because their platform their artificial intelligence based platform called FutureTrack, track kind of allows organizations to customize a learning pathway uh, for, uh, you know, people in, in, in existing roles that they're not gonna require over time onto new areas um, that they are gonna require over time. And so, uh, you know, and that all gets hardwired into a person's performance plan and, and the like. So these are new systems that are helping, you know, that reskilling become much more productive, much more efficient and customised right down to the individual level.
1: Uh, interesting. Uh, just before we move on, I want to ask you one more question about this. We hear a lot about this accelerating change and uh, and technology bringing this on and so on. Is there a limit? Because there is evidence in the last few years that this accelerated change and the the, the 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 new normal, so to speak, as as the phrase goes is causing a lot of stress to people so is the, the ability for people to change and the technology change is that sort of go in sync or is it is one out of out of is it out of kilter
2: so we should never uh i think uh, question humanity's capacity to adapt yes. uh, and in fact i uh looked at that very question um in my book Youthquake 4.0 i looked at the labor market and the only data I could find at the time was uh, in the in the U.S. going back to the 1850s, and asked the question of, well, what happened in between industrial revolutions? Uh, and we, you know, back then we print in the first industrial revolution we were principally, you know, agrarian-based societies, were farmers, and uh, and with the advent of technology and new power coming from locomotion, steam. Uh, and the printing press and the like were able to create new industries like wholesale trade, retail trade, uh, you know, education, healthcare. All of these industries came on. And so, if you look back in time, it's not a function of um, you know humanity's capacity to adapt. I, uh, you know, the data and the evidence and the history tells us that that is within us. I think what's getting in the way is that the pace of technological change is now on a exponential curve rather than on a linear curve. And so if we look at, you know, the, the last 100 years, for example, um, you know, tech, technology up till probably the last 50 years was advancing on a kind of linear basis. Uh, but over the last sort of 30 years with the advent of the internet and a whole range of other technologies, mobile technologies and the like, we're now on a exponential curve. Uh, and so uh, we've got to at- adapt our workforce structures um, uh, to accommodate these new ways of working by augmenting those technologies into the way that we create new economic value. Um, and, and so I think we've, we've got to really steer into accepting, firstly, that humanity's capacity to adapt is, is not the question or the issue at hand. It's what's getting in between uh, the, you know, the advancement of change technologically and scientifically uh, and the ability to reskill people accordingly.
1: Okay, how how interesting. So you think that the uh, the human is uh, in- incredibly agile and able to adapt and um, but we need to look at the mechanisms of getting them across to the other side. So can yeah. I, that's a great segue actually and you did mention the Youthquake 4.0. Can you... Can you d- dig down a little bit into the main premise for this um, this uh, do- uh, book that you've written?
2: Yeah, so I've been, uh, so my research uh, demographically has principally been focused on youth. Um, and we're now into our second uh, generation of youth who have grown up digitally. You know, millennials grew up uh, with the internet uh, they grew up uh, with computing. They grew up with mobile devices. The Gen Zs coming through now have, have not known life without being connected. Being connected to them is as natural as the air that they breathe. Yeah. And so uh, their capacity to adapt um, is well entrenched in time periods that generations before them Uh, did not have to experience. And so we've got this sort of amazing capacity of advancement in two generations of youth who through the course of time will permeate all facets of society. Uh, They'll increasingly become your customers. They are already the largest demographic group on the planet. They're already the largest workforces and as their proportionate representation of the workforce increases over the course of time, you know, they'll become the new homeowners, they'll become the new consumers, uh, and they'll become the new policy makers as well. And so embracing youth uh, as we stare into how do we increase our capacity to adapt is an integral part of the answer, uh, because these are the workforces, uh, and the, and these are generations that grew up in, very, in a very different world compared to generations before them. And they have completely different expectations about the structure of work, Uh, you know, and we're we're now kind of seeing this all kind of come together in a post-COVID era that was imposed on everybody and organisations adapting to some sort of hybrid models uh, of, uh, of working because, you know, the, the 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 argument that you needed to centralize workforces in order to drive productivity, I think what COVID proved was that's absolutely myth. Um, that you can in fact pursue productivity with distributed workforces just as effectively, if not more productively.
1: Yeah, I think uh the uh the owners, uh the co owners of of um atlassian were in the press this week actually in the AFR talking about exactly that topic about how they it's uh, finding so much more talent now that they can. Uh, people don't have to. They can work remotely full time. So that's. Uh, yeah, one of the um, interesting things. I know you said you in the introduction you were a director on a couple of boards. So, so uh, I think a lot of uh, modern boards are actually including uh, not only diversity. The diversity battle of getting women on boards has been a long, long thing for, but but also now they're getting young people on boards as well, aren't they? To get a different uh, perspective for similar reasons to what you're outlining, isn't it? So. So it's an yeah. interesting development.
2: Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I would say it's moving at sa- snails' pace, though. Uh, and uh, I and, uh, I and I think that's right. And I and I think that's one of the problems, right? Uh, if we yeah. look at you know, if we look at you know, diversity, according to the World Economic Forum, according uh, uh, according to their forecasts and modelling, on current trajectory, we'll reach some form of gender parity. Uh, in 140 years. Now, I would say that's not acceptable, right? Uh, Now, that's just one dimension of diversity because we've got to remember that diversity is a much broader, you know, uh, uh, pursuit than uh, than just gender, you know, And, and again, we're talking about two new generations that have come through who don't see the world from a diversity perspective, as generations before them. These are the generations that, that will fix these diversity issues and they're going to fix them a lot sooner than 144 years. So, oh,
1: Can we uh, touch a little bit uh, on your Australia 2030 uh, book yeah. uh, as well? Um, yeah. i'm I'm fascinated by this one as well. Um, yeah. because uh, actually 2030, it's what's seven years or uh, eight years away, but actually it's yeah. the long- term thinking now, isn't it, eight years? So Correct. so much yeah. happening and it's happening so quickly. Can you tell us a little
2: bit about it, the premise of this book? yeah, so um the the uh, the book is based on a study mm. of Australian professionals, about seven hundred and sixty three of them. Uh, 170 of which were classified as boards, uh, board directors, chairman, uh, CEOs, or managing directors. So it's a very, very, very large leadership sample. Uh, And the study looked at our attitudes towards the decade ahead. And as they say in research, timing is everything. And so uh, the study began Um, uh, uh, in the two months before COVID and the two months during the eye of the COVID storm. So it was a fascinating study to look at how our attitudes towards the future were changing and changing very, very quickly. But the study itself looked at, you know, how we felt about our future, you know, from a environment perspective, political perspective, technological perspective, from a climate perspective. Uh, And I think what was really uh, inspiring in the results that came out is something that I think we've always known. And that is that, you know, we are enthusiastic uh, about our future. We look to the future with, you know, much optimism. And we also are very, very optimistic about the role that technological and scientific uh, developments will play in advancing our future now what I say that that's kind of unsurprising is because we we've we've always known for you know the last 15 20 years we're enthusiastic adopters of technology mm-hmm. um, that's why you know international technology companies use Australia as one of their test markets we are early adopters of it and we embrace technological and scientific ad- advancement and change and so that's that. I would say is the you know is the is the real wonderful insight uh, when we think about our future, when we think about change, that we have uh, you know a very willing and very enthusiastic um, population, professional population, who wants to embrace change. And so, being able to then unlock and unleash them from the things that are holding them back i uh, from change i think is really the you know the secret to solving this ingenuity gap that we you know that we currently have um you know when it comes to the way with which you know we see our role in asia pacific you know we are very very cautious about the geopolitical environment that we're also operating within but we do see ourselves very much as part of Asia. Now, this is very, very important because the, the centre of economic gravity now has shifted into the Asia Pacific region. The Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific region is now the uh, largest economic zone um, in the world. And all of the forecasts are indicating that you know that this is going to continue this coming decade. So our place in Asia uh is also very very important and was a, a a very good insight that came out of the study.
1: I think Ho Chi Minh City is on track to be one of the biggest cities in the world
2: isn't it so um yeah yeah a lot of the urbanization uh, of um of cities and the, and the growth of cities is, is going to happen in Asia. That's
1: right um uh, um well that's uh that's uh I think um there's been a lot of discussion about optimism on this uh, this um podcast series we've had Victor pertin on and a few other people who are who are very big advocates of uh optimism and um and it's interesting about Australians because they get analyzed about their politics a lot and and things like that and people mistake them for being negative or skeptical and stuff but um but actually I, I agree with you every uh, overwhelmingly on this podcast series people have been very optimistic um just one final question before we go because I know you've got to go and we've got to wind this up as well but I wanted to ask you about uh, the leadership piece and and governance because you are on a few boards what what is changing on boards that is going to always changing in the senior leadership level that you're seeing just one or two things that that are that are going to allow for this adapt adaptation that you're talking about and the and uh, the ability to cater for the accelerated change.
2: Yeah, so, uh, so a couple of things here. First, I would say it's wonderful to see the um, diversity of skills on boards increasingly becoming proficient with technology. Uh, and I think that is uh, that that's going to help, I think, in the way with which we think about um, setting organisational strategy. Uh, but I think also the second aspect is all about climate change. Yes. Uh, and it's really wonderful to now see uh, our boards being mobilised around ESG. Uh, and now that we've got targets in place uh, for 2030 as well as 2050, we've seen some really amazing announcements being uh, made Fortescue, uh, for example, uh, in their announcement that they're they're not aiming to be net neutral by 2050, they're gonna bring that now forward to 2030 and they're investing 9.2 billion over the next eight years uh, to do so. And so I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. I think we're gonna see a lot of organizations sort of saying, you know, uh, net zero is where we have gotta get to. Uh, Let's not take, you know, um, a, a snail's pace approach to it. Let's bring it on. And so over the next eight years, I think we're going to see a significant level of investment um, across all organisations in how they look at their emissions targets and their footprints and their strategies. And I think a lot of that is going to be very, very much driven by the board.
1: It's a huge problem for our time, isn't it? And and certainly uh, technology
2: is going to play a part. So thank you very well, we've much. We've got we've got catch up to do, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's right. what,
1: what a modicum of leadership uh, opens the gates for, isn't it? So so uh, thanks very much, Steve. Do you want to sum up? Uh, because... Sure. Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah. So uh, Rocky, you've got a very impressive background, and you sort of walked us through that a little bit at the start. So uh, that's it's great to have such an expert uh, on our podcast. I want to pick up five things that you talked about or five themes that came through to me. One is the first one is the challenge of the, uh, of change that it's not like a game. It's more like a mystery. um, And it's growing exponentially. The second uh, point that uh, I want to pick up on is the need. And you talked about the need for reskilling and the need for changes in structure of work and the risks around that with the skills gap and the potential loss of, $10 $10 billion of economic growth uh, just in the IT industry alone. Um, the third thing I want to pick up on is the tools. <clears throat> and you talked a little bit about um, the UTS Future Track uh, AI system and how these sorts of systems can uh, predict uh, what kind of skills are going to be needed so that people can uh, direct their own career path towards learning skills that will be useful in the future and uh, that's a very important thing. The fourth thing that uh, you talked about was in a sense the the crux of it, uh, and that is the question of what's getting in the way. We've got human capacity for change, we've got the need, we've got technological drivers, but there there, there are things that are in the way. And this is very close to the work that I do actually, it might be worth uh, having a chat later on uh, because my focus is on the psychological factors that get in the way and the psychological factors that are needed to, uh, to drive that uh, engagement. And then uh, the fifth, uh, fifth point was you talked about the future and uh, the sense of optimism, the sense that Australia is positioned well uh, in many ways, in in the in the sense that we adopt new technology uh, fairly readily, and there are opportunities where, in the right place in the world at the right time, if we can just get our act together and make sure that we capitalise on this and don't miss out on it, then uh, the future is pretty bright. So uh, that's that's all that I want to say. But thanks very much for uh, contributing what you did today fantastic
2: and look it's a pleasure and uh, it's wonderful again to have been part of uh, the program and um uh, and look forward to you know a very prosperous future ahead yeah thank you very much for your wonderful insights
1: and uh, also thanks for your optimism that's great thank you it's infectious thanks
0: thanks for listening to this podcast of humanized workforce future you Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's
1: C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts.